The Triathlon Show 335. Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of the Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Glenn Polonis. Glenn is a triathlon coach and founder of the PTC High Performance Squad based in Girona, which includes among others Martin Van Riel. He is also a Belgian National Federation coach with a home based in Leuven in Flanders. And uh, we'll get into his coaching philosophy, uh, training in a squad, and uh, a bunch of other interesting topics. But before that, uh, let's thank our sponsors. First, we have Precision Fuel and Hydration that have a range of tools and products that you can use to personalize your fueling and hydration strategy. Everyone sweats differently, both in terms of sweat rate and sweat sodium concentration. So you should individualize your hydration strategy and your fueling strategy will also need to be adapted based on the duration and intensity of exercise or competition, as well as your ability to tolerate certain amounts and types of fuel. You can use the free online sweat test and quick card calculator on precisionfuelandhydration.com to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs during training and races. And you can book a free one-on-one video consultation with the team to refine your strategy. You can get 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products by using the code TTS22 at checkout on precisionfuelandhydration.com. And thank you to Roka. Roka produces exceptional quality triathlon wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles, performance sunglasses, as well as prescription eyeglasses and sunglasses. Today, I want to highlight Roka's range of eyewear. All Roka's eyeglasses and sunglasses come with Geeko anti-slip technology, so they never fall off your face. They are extremely lightweight and have unbelievable optics. The performance sunglasses are developed for and tested in up to the most challenging conditions and used in sports, ranging from triathlon through speed skating to outdoor and adventure activities. For prescription glasses, uh, there is a home tryout program, and you can also renew your prescription with a simple online vision test at home in front of your computer. All products have multiple options for frame and lens, and they all come with a two-year warranty. I've tried a number of different Roka eyewear products, and my favorites are the Rory prescription glasses, the Phantom sunglasses for casual day-to-day wear, and the Matador and Matador Air performance sunglasses for uh, active exercise and competition. Visit roka.com forward slash TTS for 20% off your order on all of Roka's products. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Glenn Polonis. Welcome to the Triathlon Show, Glenn. How are you doing today? I'm fine, thanks. Nice to meet you, Michael. Yeah, it's great to have you. Uh, you just told me that you're you're up in Sierra Nevada uh, currently. Uh, how how is that going so far? Well, I just ran to the recording room here, and I have to say, you can really feel the thin air, and it's uh, yeah, it's a bit higher than the altitude we're used to, but everything is going well. The athletes are enjoying it. It's a bit a uh, bit more monitoring at this altitude, of course, and taking it easy the first week. But uh, in general, everything is going well. Good. Yeah. So let's uh, start with just uh, a bit of a deeper introduction. Can you uh, tell us more about yourself, your your history in the sport, and and in general, and and what you're doing now, what you're up to with the squad, and so on. Okay. Yeah. So my name is Glenn Polonis. Um, I'm actually development coach for the belgium national triathlon federation i got the chance to work with the belgian hammers as well over the past years um, especially during the covid period um yeah it was been an, an interesting journey i really started 
small it's building my own squad as a coach as a, i have a background in cycling where i used to ride with the professionals but I had to quit uh, the sports due to an injury um, unfortunately and like it learned me a lot about how to approach training my own experiences um yeah combined with what i learned at university so after finishing cycling i went to university again studied physiotherapy where i found myself being more interested more and more into physiology again and um, really dive into the science part of training more and more because i always felt that with my own um yeah my own experience with coaching um i never got most out of my own uh, my own um values and my own yeah my own physiology and so um, actually i really wanted to to dive into that and i started exploring reading a lot and got inspired by some good professors in university of leuven who really helped me a lot and yeah step by step i i started to become more a coach and a physiotherapist i stopped um, my job as a physio and started my own squad first with a team where you found yourself always limited with uh yeah like budget problems to do what you really want to do with your athletes and because i've always wanted to go full in like completely to to uh, to get uh, to get to the highest level and i always felt like somehow limited so at one point the athletes were like really uh, telling me as well maybe we should start our own squad and we find we find funding within our team and we start training with you and yeah that's how ptc started it started as a, a joke because the athletes used to call it polonis training crew and then yeah it started like that and it's it steadily grow and grow and became bigger and I worked for University of Leuven, where I, I'm, I'm a coach of the university team. And the athletes had a perfect environment where we had the infrastructure of the university and also the social part with, you know, like high-level athletes combined with a bit more recreational athletes was a perfect environment. I was a bit inspired by Leeds University in the UK, where, how they work. And yeah, that's how the, the squad started. So, so you have just to clarify a bit. You have the PTC squad, which is an international squad of elite athletes, and and you're normally now you're in Sierra Nevada, of course, but you're based in Girona normally. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So it's been a big change. Um, I really found I my experience was that like I'm always with the young under twenty three Belgium guys. They're always time limited, and uh, combination with the studies, it's really hard to get to the elite level and my experience with the very elites is that they just go all in at uh, one point and they move abroad. Less stress of uh, the daily environment and better weather conditions as well if you come from the north, like you know. Um, so it was really important for me that I, 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 I like me, myself, embodied the, as a coach that I wanted to make that step to go there yeah, and to show the athletes that it's quite a necessary step to do. To, to go all in and so we moved to Girona it has its challenges because I still have a part of the squad the young guys who are still in Leuven Belgium I have some assistant coaches with who I work and they do a great job there to to help the athletes um, when I'm not around it's hard to be at two places at the same time but I see the squad more and more developing to uh, Girona and like I for me like what's really like satisfying for me is that I see now young Belgium guys saying Next winter, we're going also to move to Girona and uh, go all in. So that's really one of my mission as a development coach in Belgium as well, to get this kind of mindset um, yeah, so they can train in a professional environment with the best athletes. And I think it's a win-win for both uh, Yeah, to have new 
young blood in the group with experienced athletes in Girona, I think it's also good to sharpen up them and to to realize the passion they show on a daily basis, just enjoying sports and not get stuck in routine. So I think it's a win-win for both. Yeah, no, that sounds great. And and in the squad, uh, you do have a lot of Belgian athletes, but you also have some some international athletes. So what are some of the other nationalities you have in your squad? Well, yeah, we have a, a good mixture now. Um, so we have a German athlete like Jonas Schomburg, who's training in uh, Girona as well. Then we have some Spanish athletes who are regularly with the team. Um, yeah, an Irish athlete, a British athlete. Um, I have to think a Dutch athlete. So it's like a bit of everything. So in general, the language is always English as well. I also speak some Spanish, which helps being in Girona because it's not easy to arrange stuff sometimes there and everything's a bit slow. So it really helps when you you are working in Spain. Um, yeah, so it's really an international squad and I see it more and more developed like that. And yeah, it's both the level of the athletes is really rising, of course, recently. Um, but also the mentality. Um, I feel like really lucky to work with these athletes who are so motivated and going all in yeah and how, how many athletes do you have in the squad well it depends a bit of how you see like sometimes i have athletes who i coach more abroad and then sometimes join the squad for a, a camp or a, or a longer period so in general it's between uh, 10 to 15 athletes yeah i mean some athletes it's just more like a, a more distance coast coached relationship yeah 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 and uh what's the breakdown some of them are racing uh world triathlon championship series some are more world cup level and some are more continental cup or under 23 juniors uh what do you have a rough breakdown of the levels there yeah i think you covered it quite well <laughs> um some of them are doing like world championship series some are doing world cup some european cup i have some juniors like uh who really i who are maybe just below the level, like at the moment, to really be like good at European Cup level already. But uh, they have some qualities in like maybe bike and run, and just lacking the swim. So I really want them to give time for the swim because I really believe in a long term approach. And I know they have like the values, like if we look at the physiology, like we can really see they have like big potential. And I, I, I think. The mindset is we're trying to go for gold, of course, also within the federation. And I think sometimes we are like looking on a too short term with these athletes. And if we can, for example, develop a swim over three years with one kind of athlete who has a potential to be the fastest runner, I think we should try to give him the opportunity and like steadily let him grow, even though he's not at the level now already where he should be to be racing at the European or World Cup level. So it's a bit of a mixture of everything, which makes it quite difficult for me as well, because there's like lots of different programs and it's almost every week a race for me. Um, but I hope the squad develops to like everybody racing world championship series, of course, in the future. And that the coaches in Belgium can like really develop the young athletes to join the group in uh, in Girona with the international squad. That would be my dream to to finish it up like that. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And you raise an interesting point there with some athletes that might not yet have the swim. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's something that that you kind of see, see in some federations. Some federations are already moving past that. But in, in the talent ID process, uh, a lot of federations in the past, at least I know, have had, you have to have a certain time for, let's say 3000 meters of running exactly, and yeah. 1000 meters of swimming or 400 meters of swimming and mm-hmm. uh, that kind of defeats the purpose of talent id because talent is not about how good you are right now but or not only about that but also about how good can you be in the future so so i think the way that you 
described that and looked at that makes makes a lot more sense than just purely looking at where the athlete is right now. Yeah, exactly. And it's sometimes a hard discussion within the federation and also know the technical directors that need some cutoffs, but they're not working with the athletes, you know. And it's um, sometimes, yeah, we are observing things both mindset-wise or like big, Im- big improvements on the short term with athletes who are just not making the cutoff so they don't get any funding and they're like they're left behind you know so um yeah i I've, i have a good example of one athlete who was really short of the level but he, he like kept on insisting can i join you for a for a camp and i said yeah okay you can join once huh? and i got so impressed with his mindset you know like to do every night his exercises to improve mobility for the swim and it gave me like a I saw potential there and I see him improving a lot. And it's like, it's more than just a cutoff time for a 3000 meter run and a 400 meter swim, you know, and especially with that kind of young athletes, some of them are like late biologically mature. And like, it's something we have to keep an eye open for as a coach, I think. Yeah, for sure. Uh, And can we uh, discuss a little bit more about how the daily training environment works and, uh, in terms of the training itself a bit uh, what is a typical day like but also what support structures do you have do you work with uh with other physiotherapists of course you have some expertise there yourself and massage what what is what is it like for an athlete to be part of your squad well yeah it's uh quite it's not only me of course it's like a a big team of uh, physiotherapists nutrition doctors strength coaches um, and I really like that. Like you said, I'm a physiotherapist uh, from education, but um, I'm not touching the athletes anymore myself. I really want to keep that border and being a coach. Otherwise, there's always some problem you have to to fix with an athlete. Um, but like it's a team of a few physiotherapists who join for training camps, of course. Um, and we have in Leuven and in Girona some physiotherapists who who I can really like trust as well. I think it's very important as a coach. Sometimes you send an athlete to a physiotherapist and they come out of the session with like more questions or like they think have a big injury. So uh, we ne- I really need to make sure the athlete, I, the communication between the physiotherapist and the athletes is very good. And yeah, I now got a team of physiotherapists that I can really trust. Um, then I have some doctors like who do the blood checkups and also for when I have specific questions about altitude or like, for example, now or about test results. I have some physiologists like Matthias Verstraal and Reinhard von Schuylenberg who work for the Belgian Federation who I can work with. And it's like it's impossible for me to do everything. And that's like I think one of my strengths, I realized that, that I cannot do everything and I really try to to surround myself with people who are like the best in their thing. So they can offer me the knowledge and I, I try to get the puzzle together for them. So, um, and then I have my girlfriend who really supports me and she's like digging really deep into the nutrition part of the athletes. So she's a nutritionist. For example, I just sent her your latest podcast about uh, the hydrogels and oh, yeah. like, she's like so passionate about it. So she's like making her own hydrogel now and testing things. And it's really cool. She can share that with the athletes and I can share my point of view with her and like it's it's like it's actually super fun to be part of now at the moment and yeah it's just an interesting journey of learning and improving all the time so yeah yeah and uh how how do you manage uh, the or how let's let me rephrase the question how important do you think that a good uh, culture within a squad is is that something that you work actively on having a certain values and uh, a certain group dynamic in the squad. Can you talk a bit more about how that works? 
Yeah, actually, that's really, really important to me. And like some, even like when we started the squad five years ago, it has been one of the basic principles that I founded the squad on. Like, uh, I think there are a few important things that we can show vulnerability to each other. Um, there's a lot of ego sometimes involved in the sport. And yeah, I think when we show our weaknesses, there's a lot of strength in it. And that we're not trying to prove ourselves too much and like really focus on improving. And uh, I think it's a long-term process. It's not like this doesn't happen night over day. And it's like, yeah, having group talks, individual talks with the athletes, like, um, yeah, and if, like really confronting them with their weaknesses and with their insecurities. I think it's very important. And there's a few basic things that are like respect, honesty, who are always uh, really important to me. And I think it's like when you build group vulnerability, I often make the comparison with like building a muscle. It takes time, repetition, and yeah, the willingness to suffer to achieve gains, you know. And sometimes it's, it, I can be brutally honest with an athlete, you know, like you're like, if I feel like you're not focusing on the right things, I just, I am honest with them and I don't want to waste time. My time is precious. And I, I, I think as well, like I'm not helping them with like saying, hey, you're doing okay just because they are talented you know and i think they need to focus on the right things and yeah especially being respectful to each other is very important and over the years i also saw like like autonomy is for me one of the key principles as well i want to have athletes when they go abroad and they are like yeah i'm not there to make the right decisions and to to not rely on me all the time to get insight in the training process and to make the right decisions when I'm not there as well. So it's one of the key principles as well. So. Yeah, yeah. What about, uh, is it is it important uh, for athletes within the squad to be, you know, are they friends outside of training, hanging out and, and doing stuff like that? Or is that something that, you know, some maybe are, but some some aren't? Is, is it like more like a workplace, you know, your colleagues, you're coming to training together and you go to some races together? Yeah, to be honest, like... Uh, it's more like the friend thing, but it's not, of course, not everybody is like as close with everyone. Of course, yeah. like, it's like really, it's not like split up in groups, but in general, I think how the squad evolved now, evolved now is like, everybody is generally like happy for another person if they are performing well. And that's like something I'm also proud of. Like there is competition, of course, to get on start lists or to be the best at the championship, for example, but they will always feel like, okay, Everybody did their effort to be on his or her best. And that's like valued in this group. And I think uh, it makes it a strong group now at the moment. Like they really uh, they really want each other to be happy and to perform well. So um, in general, it's really fun to go to sessions and to, to go there with a smile and see people smiling. So it's uh, not always, of course, like that. Eh? We also have our bad days. So uh, it's like somebody is tired and like a bit more grumpy, especially when you go three weeks on a training camp. You have to also know that people should be given their space, you know, and not if you're living together for three weeks with four athletes in a small building. Like sometimes it's a bit suffocating and yeah, it's something we need to talk about again. Then I think communication is like, hey, you're tired. Um, watch out with your reaction. Give each other space. And I think that's how you prevent them becoming like like competitive or like uh, really enemies in a way so yeah yeah, yeah. well y you mentioned competition there competition for um, places in or for qualifications mm -hmm. and and for results in within races how how do you view or manage that within training for example is that something that you try to 
actively prevent people from competing with each other in training and or yeah how do you have any thoughts on that yeah absolutely um i think one of the main things we really like try to do in the group is intensity control yeah and so we want to like really do everyone like is is like doing their session at the right intensity so i think now we're giving compliments to each other like if somebody hold down in the session because like in the past it might have been like oh focusing on a time and you went so fast and uh, like people were giving credit to each other for that but actually it's just not like what's it about uh, i recently had an example of uh, a young guy who like um was in girona training with the very elite then uh, like the the more famous names and he's actually a quite fast runner and the guys were pushing a little bit harder than they should be doing at the moment but he felt like he's like he, he kept his intensity under control and just let them go without ego and then it's like the mindset you really want to have in the group like saying like this is one my effort i felt i was going above it and it was also even good for the the high level athletes because he's maybe one of the fastest runners to see like oh this guy is like holding back and he's running so fast so maybe yeah that's how we try to prevent the the competition i think is by educating the athletes a lot as well like why are we doing this and um what is your efforts and if you have the testing like from the athletes from the physiological profile and you can say like you're building so much lactate you're going above threshold if you do it for such a long time they get more insight and they get more confident to to not do it to not be competitive um it doesn't mean like at some point we're racing itu of course and it also sometimes we need to push hard on training and like in the final prep i sometimes put them together you know and for example for a chain ride in the bike so it's uh if you're always doing your own intensity it's also sometimes coming out of your comfort zone and like getting used to that surges that are not perfectly good for you i think in the final phase it's sometimes good to make them a bit competitive again as well but uh in general they're really not competitive so mm -hmm. yeah and and that already partially answers what was going to be my next question which is about managing uh, the individual aspects of of training so um mm -hmm. yeah you're telling us then that they have individual targets based on testing so do all of your athletes go through some sort of testing at the start of the season and maybe at some some later point to or or is that is it and yeah can you talk more about how you individualize the training and the targets yeah um yeah most of them all do do exercise testing and we use the insight protocol most of the time um and i, I try to make it like sometimes you don't have to do all the testing on one day i want to make it like as less invasive for the athlete as possible sometimes i integrate it in a session and if you want to have like the threshold part of a of the tests i do it on one day where we do a threshold session i take one block i measure lactate for example in the beginning of the session another day in a vo2 max session i measure there like pre and post lactates and the vla max test in a sprint session for example so we combine it like that so the athlete doesn't feel like he's always going to the lab you know and um so we get an individual profile out of that and then we and there are some general principles like building a big aerobic base who are the same for everyone i think and then we see like we have this much more anaerobic profiles and we really like like differentiate in training between different kind of profiles and i think it's based on the testing but also like on load tolerance like uh injury proneness are very big important things in, in which we differentiate with the athletes so it's a uh, really an individual approach within a group setting yeah yeah 
Do you do the testing in all three disciplines in swimming, cycling, and running? Yes, but not for all athletes in like swim, bike, run. We really try to focus on, yeah, we have some very good swimmers, for example, and like it's not like I don't like it like as well like to say like oh we're already a good swimmer we cannot improve you know but if you're doing too much testing all the time with all the athletes like it's also becomes a burden and I want don't want to get like a burnout of testing you know and it's sometimes easier to focus on one thing a bit more and um, if they're really good in one thing we leave that a little bit out and uh, we focus for example more on the bike and the run but especially with the young athletes we got a good profile of swim bike run and see where we can make the most improvements uh, in three disciplines yeah 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 well uh one you said there that about the profiling of uh of athletes with some being more aerobic or anaerobic and and Mm -hmm. that's an interesting uh question i always find to discuss how to approach uh, those types of athletes differently in, in training can can you describe how you do that generally speaking yeah, it's uh, it's not always easy to to really differentiate for that. Um, for example, when we have like a very anaerobic profile, um, then we very early in the in the season in the winter already start much more tempo work, for example, or uh, or with interventions with nutrition, like doing more like in the fasting state, um, yeah, training. So it's actually one of the key things, and um, yeah, to just see like very early for a longer period of time doing consistently one thing to dampen that system you know and which combined with big gear work in the tempo uh, some short solid efforts combined with uh tempo work like very early on in the season and then we see are we controlling that profile yeah and can we go a bit more to like higher intensity vo2 max work or not um because it's important to like keep on having a high yeah, high VO2 max as well and make sure the balance between the VO2 max and the VLA max, for example, is like a really like in the right regions, you know? So it's, uh, yeah, it starts quite early on. Let's say like if we do like a winter program, we have like a, in general, like a six to eight week base program where we do lo- more like biomechanical like corrections yeah, and like much basic aerobic base, but especially then with the anaerobic profiles, you see there really uh, going very high up in uh, the vla max for example and then we quickly start with uh, softening that system yeah. Mm, yeah and and the aerobic profile how how would that be different for you mean like for the people for the with high view? Yeah, yeah for yeah with a with a low low vla max and uh high or moderate vo2 max yeah so then we quickly integrate anaerobic capacity as well um doing more like short intensity work um with long rest periods for example and it's it's really like you see people with the high view to max most of the time they can also tolerate like big volume and um we also do a bit more volume with them it's based on muscle type fiber sometimes we have even testings from athletes who have like some kind of dna testing profile as well um which is still like in his early footsteps i think and i don't rely completely on it but um yeah, you see, like the, the the athletes with a really big engine, most of the time they can really tolerate uh, uh, a lot of volume as well. And we, in the base period, we do more volume with these kind of athletes. Yeah, and then again, we measure like, are we doing too much or not? And when we go to a more like power phase, uh, aerobic power phase, we see like that they're not too early in the season, too low in VLMX, for example. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So, so you basically you. With, with that type of athlete, if, if we're especially looking at somebody with a low VLA max, low anaerobic mm-hmm. capacity, then you make sure that 
you don't want it to be too low either you then you work on maybe even increasing it increasing it a bit so yeah absolutely find, find a sweet yeah. spot yeah especially in the beginning of the season eh? when because uh, when they're doing a lot of races and uh, more like like i just said more aerobic power you can see it really go down steadily so in the beginning of the season we don't want to have it too low as well and that's sometimes now an issue because uh, many athletes are doing like 70.3 and like short distance and then you have to see like the balance when they're going from one to another yeah you always yeah it's high performance environment so it's really i also think sometimes we're like over focused on the numbers as well and i want it to be within a certain range of course um but like if i'm not panicking if like the vla max is 0.1 or 2 maybe yeah too low or too high you know like just focus on what we can control i think then and direct training in that direction and not say like oh we're already defeated because our vlmx is maybe 0.2 too high yeah. you know? so yeah i think uh, it's something i also learned as a coach to be critical to these values as well of course um and like sometimes it's from day to day with an athlete if you t- test them one week or two weeks later later you can have like completely different results based on their feeling and like and the the nutrition state for example all these kind of things always be critical and try to observe the athletes in every session i would say and see how they perform there as well yeah yeah and at the end of the day races are one on the race course and not in the lab so absolutely yeah, yeah. yeah. um well you, you mentioned there how you do your kind of base base phase and with focus on biomechanics as well maybe we can talk a little bit about your just generally your your an overview of your coaching philosophy if you will and maybe we can start mm-hmm. with kind of how you periodize the year uh for for the squad since you st- mentioned that initial base phase as well so if you run through what a typical year might break down into the different periods yeah it's hard to say like for one at uh, in general for one athlete because the differences in levels are so big now and the season starts for some people much earlier than other people uh, in general it's like uh, i always work like with a big base phase yeah? it can be longer for one athlete depending on how long the winter is of course eh? they start early it's always minimum eight weeks i think for also for neuromuscular adaptations and on, on the cardiovascular level if we want adaptations it's really like a minimum i think now sometimes if the season starts early we go more into like a a a specific uh, not really specific more like a build phase where we do a bit more like already tempo work big gear work yeah and then we we switch switch to the specific phase where we like really yeah go to the trying to meet the race demands based on the individual profile of course and I always like try to have like an within the season always like keep on repeating these phases as well not make the specific phase too long because the overall goal is always to like keep on improving over time and if you like keep on going too long in uh, too many races with too much specific work yeah you can just maybe hold on to your level and not keep on improving and I think that's one of the basic philosophies that sometimes in the season we have like a, a bigger period off again and repeat this base phase again and to make sure we can keep on improving over time yeah i think that's a really interesting point and it's something i've been reflecting on quite a lot in in my coaching as well one Mm -hmm. one of the hardest things especially for athletes that do race quite a lot to find the time to or find the well find the courage almost to not keep doing specific training when there's always another race coming up like uh, one aspect of it is of course 
planning your race calendar but but that's also mm-hmm. depending on the athlete and the level, level they're racing at the calendar is almost fixed with yeah. for example wtcs or world cups or what have you so so yeah it's um yeah it's interesting to hear you say say that and yeah coming coming back to the well basically because that's exactly what i've been thinking that yeah it's easy to get sucked into doing too much too long race specific periods but it doesn't really help you improve uh if you do it for that for too much and too long no, absolutely and i think many athletes associate their performance always with like the specific phase you know like with uh, the few key sessions they did before the their good result you know but actually in my opinion it's really all the work you did the accumulated training load before that allowed you to do that key sessions right and to be able to perform then in the end so without that phase yeah you're never going to hit the right numbers in the key sessions and to be really sharp for the when it really matters i think and I always tell them like like to keep that in mind the broad picture and if an athlete for example needs to race a lot due to calendars I really like sometimes use races as a specific session you know and not tapering for races and see them as like key workouts within the season and to be really good at their A level race yeah yeah, yeah. and uh can you discuss a little bit about um volume how how much volume your athletes are doing and and if it varies which i assume it does what does it depend on well yeah it depends a little bit on the anaerobic profile versus aerobic profile and uh, the muscle fiber typology i think as well i really look into also boys versus girls i am always a bit more careful with the girls um and do bit maybe for a especially for the run i do a bit more strength work with the girls i think and a bit less volume and make sure that I really I can keep on progressing in volume and intensity over time, not going too fast too soon. Um, yeah, and volume-wise, in general, I, I really believe in quite high volume, uh, chronicle volume, like and then taper off at the right moment. Um, but that volume is like really different for like the older athletes versus the younger athletes, and if you want some numbers for example like uh yes please (laughs) (laughs) i was thinking so like i think in general with the elites we are like quite regularly around 30 hours a week um so very consistent in the build phase and the base phase so it's quite a lot of volume uh, and it's divided maybe in five to six swims with six hour swim um yeah and bike numbers up to 15 hours running around 100k for the very elite so and it's always a bit individual, like some focus a little bit more on the swim, some a bit more on the run. I'm not really into like bike or run weeks. I try to keep it quite consistent in overtime in all three disciplines because I always think it's like always injury prevention wise also very interesting to not to have many big fluctuations in the volumes. Um, yeah, and it, it helps to build like uh, a big engine, I think, aerobically and also like to have your loads um yeah really attenuated over time i think it's very important so yeah Yeah. and and what is uh, especially when you're in like a build phase or even a specific phase how how much intensity would you have in in those weeks or do you have a typical like two hard swims two hard bikes two hard runs or is there anything anything any patterns like that that you use in terms of the intensity yeah I think intensity wise, it's like in the run, you can say it's quite typical. We always do like two harder runs and the rest is like build up a volume around two specific sessions. So it's really not for athlete, never more than two hard runs. Um, in the bike, um, yeah, I think now when we go like 
for example, with Martin in the 70.3, we did a bit more emphasis on the bike. And maybe we did like three times like a bit more specific work on the bike, for example. Um, and in the swim, I really like to keep the intensity quite high. Quite high. Um, that doesn't mean like it's brutal workouts, not at all. Let's say if you want to put it in numbers, we have like two specific workouts, but like even regeneration sessions, we can do like little sprints to keep like the, the speed in. Um, and so it's it can be like four workouts with a little bit of intensity in but not like very brutal so mm. um yeah it's not really fixed um I, only our track tuesday maybe in the specific phase like uh, i think many athletes have like two fixed days for the run are quite fixed but in general it's really yeah not so determined in advance how many intensity we do in which discipline no. yeah yeah mm. and what about uh recovery do you uh do you have any kind of down weeks deload weeks or do you work on a consistent yeah, yeah, schedule course. yeah so but it is what you call a down week of course eh? like uh it's always like the athletes who do like 30 hours a week um on a regular base then the down week might be 21 22 hours you know and it's yep. like still a lot for other athletes and if i have young athletes who are doing like consistent 23 to 24 hours then a down week might be 16 to 80 hour, 18 hours um but I like to keep the consistency in the three sports as well, even in the down weeks, just shorter sessions, not too long, maybe one complete rest day, um, not too many rest days in general. Um, so, yeah, it's really depending on what is your basic volume in yeah. in the other weeks. Yeah. And how, how often do you have these down weeks? Um, sometimes with young athletes, it's more in like a 2-1 ratio, but often with the elite, elite athletes, it's more like a 3-1, um, like like type of coordination of the down week so it's like uh depending a bit on the level as well yeah and and within a week uh the the micro cycle of, of a week do you have a day or a couple of days that are lighter generally or maybe yeah. a day that is just swimming how yeah yeah so um in general like on an easy day we do even a few sessions uh, so it could be like on a monday after a bigger weekend because sometimes it's easier for the non-professionals to do more work in the weekends eh? we do like an easy swim and then it depends like they do like a little jog and gym work eh? that that's then the easy day and then like for the other people it might even be like swim uh gym and like do a two-hour easy bike ride on an easy day uh, it's always looking at what the athlete really wants to do as well i think on these days some really like to ride their bike and they really get recovered mentally as well of doing a two-hour coffee ride with friends and then i also take that into account and uh, yeah look at the overall volume that we're not doing too much and some people like to spread it a little bit more out and sometimes i feel i have athletes especially the the more anaerobic athletes sometimes they they really need like a big afternoon off or we just do an easy swim in the morning and that's it and they get more recovered by doing completely nothing for maybe 20 hours you know so yeah yeah mm. um if we dive into the specific uh disciplines within triathlon a little bit uh can can you give some key fundamentals from your training process and if we start with with swimming what are a couple of key points that you would give there yeah swimming i think um it's like the thing we different, differentiate the most in with the athletes. Um, on a young age, I really try to get the biomechanics right. It's uh, like some key things like body position in the water, strength, um, catch, of course, the, the basic things. And with the elites, like it's much more like getting the, the work done. So it's a really big difference there. Um, 
and again among three three disciplines it's always a consistency you know like um i really like to be regularly in the water not too much days without being in the water and i prefer i i think it's a misconception sometimes uh, that a a bad swimmer needs to swim a lot because when the technique is not right you're just like promoting the bad technique all the time so i like to have them like for shorter sessions in the in the pool and maybe do for example six sessions but with good quality um and i i think it's a mistake many coaches do like me maybe in the past as well like i throw i throw a lot of volume on there because we need to swim a lot but actually the swimmer is just getting worse and worse so it's actually like uh yeah really see how the technique is for for the swim so it's really important and then specific to open water we do much a lot of strength work um yeah with pool boy pedals and also band work so or with propeller depends on the stroke dynamic dynamics as well like you see like how we can convert a stroke to a more open water stroke if like for example the frequency is really low we really focus on that because sometimes we have very good pool swimmers who come out of the water like uh, in a place that you would never expect them and then yeah, we know it's not like the view to max for example but it's more like the stroke dynamics that we, we need to change so in the swim it can be quite different from uh, athlete to athlete but consistency is like the the main principle again in uh, in all athletes yeah so digging into that one detail there about the stroke rate uh, what mm-hmm. are because that's something i think that a lot of age groupers as well have uh, have that problem of having too low a stroke rate yeah and uh yeah what are some tips some or some ex some exercises or uh or sets that you that you would recommend for working on improving your stroke rate or increasing your stroke rate yeah i really like to get them aware of where especially like using video images like uh, as well to see like the coordination of their two hands like if they are really swimming and catch up and like to show them like hey this is your stroke and this is not efficient in open water and then, like for example, using the tempo trainer in uh, in the pool can be really useful with a certain frequency. You let it hear to them like on their natural frequency, and you always improve it, improve it, huh? uh, increase it. Um, and then you see like uh, you're, and then you show them the video again how this, the stroke is changing, and you try to find a sweet spot in the beginning because if you do it too high, they're just like not grabbing any water. What I really like is like the short builds. You know, you do like over 50 meters. If you have a 50 meter pool and you like build the frequency steadily, yeah, and then maybe you hold it for 50 meters and not make the fractions too long in the beginning. It's like running with a higher cadence in the beginning. It's like can be really strange for an athlete. I feel like I say my heart rate is higher now. So it's really, and I think it's not efficient, but your body needs to adapt. And if you want to do it like one long set, high frequency, yeah, you're just going to promote a bad technique again and make them very tired so it's like really building it gradually i think Mm. and you have some tools like a a propeller and a band who are forcing you automatically to not swim catch up that can be really good but of course it can also be too hard and if the body position is like really bad with these tools then you're also you have to figure out if it's already the right time or not to use them yeah yeah Uh, all right and uh, then biking what are some key fundamentals there well yeah uh i have a biking background and uh i'm a, a big believer of doing a, a steady volume uh, on the bike um a lot of base work and then we really look at the individual profile it's uh, some people really like the peak powers we focus a bit more on that uh, because in itu racing for example i think 
the anaerobic speed reserve is quite important as well um, if you're always close to your limit of your maximum peak powers with all the cornering it can be much more demanding for your energy system there so um yeah and it's really periodized for example one period we do more vo2 max work for example in the build phase if we see the profile is uh, ready for it yeah and then like to the specific phase we go more to like threshold efforts on the bike longer efforts but again it can be different like i explained earlier with the anaerobic profile we go earlier into tempo zone or threshold work and then maybe later into a bit more higher intensity work so yeah and some other things like uh, cadence work as well like to get improved pedal efficiency some short sprints can be important uh, i think short sprints in a base phase are always good to like get some neuromuscular um yeah adaptations there as well and not losing the speed when you're doing a lot of base work so yeah it's a bit of a everything but on the right yeah. time <laughs> yeah yeah and the, the anaerobic speed reserve uh that's interesting that you men mentioned that do you think that the anaerobic speed reserve is more important to have quite well developed on the bike than in the run in itu racing or do you think they're equally important no i think it's more important on the bike than on yeah. the run uh, because it's much more staccato uh like uh, um yeah demanding for the for the athlete so in the run it's more like running a steady pace and you need like to have a search sometimes of course um, but it's not continuously surging and dropping down so i think it's much more important on the bike and i think especially towards olympic distance having a, a very high lactate threshold lt2 anaerobic threshold whatever you want to call it is like a, a key determinant of your, your performance so uh, and much less the anaerobic speed reserve yeah and in olympic distance especially when it's uh, a relatively long race then by the time you get to the run yeah you will have depleted blood, yourself yeah. so much that your anaerobic Indeed. speed reserve is completely different than than yeah. it was if you did a fresh 10k so exactly uh, it yeah. doesn't matter as yeah. much yeah no that, that was what i was thinking but it was interesting mm -hmm. to hear what you think as well what about yeah. uh running uh, what are some key fundamentals there uh proper run technique um without like anal over analyzing i think you have people who are used to running in a, in a certain way as well and you try to optimize that so at the beginning i was like really into run biomechanics because my physiotherapy background and it was my own weaker discipline so i really tried to figure it out maybe over analyze as well so um Yeah, I wanted to make everybody run beautiful. I think now it's less that, and I want to make sure key principles are good. Um, yeah, and I think like we really differentiate a lot in volume with the run. Like um, some people are really like prone to injury, for example, and we do like 50, 60Ks a week maximum. And I, I, I think we can have like huge improvements. I think sometimes athletes are so focused on the mileage. Yeah? And with doing like a bit less volume and doing right strength work or activation before sets, we can keep them like injury free and to really like get the most out of every session, which is the most important in my eyes. And we do some analysis of uh, plyometric strength, um, yeah, combined with the physiological profile where we determine how we approach the run. And I, I think it's, of course, it's always the, the key determinant. Maybe yeah, it's a, a cliche. You cannot like, uh, win the race in the swim but you lose the race but you win the race in the run so it's a very important one to to find how you can really increase your speed at threshold and it's different for everyone it can be by increasing your vlmx for increasing vo2 max 
and you have to find out what's important for which athletes on the right time so mm. Mm. well what plyometric tests are you doing and how how do you use that information yeah we use uh, actually simple tests that we can repeat quite often um so it's like with the the push device where we do like a repetitive jumps or drop jumps and we measure like the reactive speed and then we can see if we go to a, a next phase as well i like to have like this like cutoffs where i can see we do a bit more of uh, plyometric work if they're not very low if they're very low in the yeah the repetitive strength index like we really want to like yeah first focus on strength and then go a bit more to plyometrics if they're already quite good values for the plyometrics then we we increase the, the box jump height for example the drop jump height and we go a bit more advanced into that so it's uh, really looking at stride as well for example uh, evaluating ground contact times under fatigue and see what we do there so it's a bit of uh, putting all the data together um, especially for myself and not like to burden the athlete too much with it and then see how we adapt it into the training mm. Mm. yeah and uh, do you do at least with those athletes that may have a weakness in in those assessments do you do, you do a lot of plyometric work as part of your kind of strength work or even pre or post run yeah um both actually like if we see it's weak we, we try to keep it two times a week in the strength program huh? if we see they're weak and sometimes it's also with biomechanical adaptations if like people some people are lengthening out their stride too long and we try to like really focus on a quick heel return and like keeping the, like do a little activation before the run and then like do a few, few hundred stri- hundred meter strides in advance show them videos as well show them data like of like how is it changing when you do what and then try to keep them in the real sets aware of what they've been changing and to to like focus on on what we're trying to change yeah, yeah so yeah. Uh, I think the pre-activation is really important. Actually, like uh, doing a few drills in advance can really help athletes to get that feeling and to to get get naturally into their strides without overthinking. You know. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. And one other follow-up question on the run was um, regarding you mentioned proper run technique, but without over-analyzing things. But uh, are there a couple of things that you would say are yeah these are things that you see with some athletes that always need to be correct like you have a couple of examples of things that you would correct yes yeah yeah Yeah, for sure i think uh one main thing i always like the hip drop is something uh, i always think like you lose a lot of energy there if your pelvis is not stable and you're really like letting one if you hit the ground your pelvis is dropping on the other side i think that's some one thing i really always want to correct for example um yeah because it's both injury prevention and efficiency i think uh, two in one you really want to improve on and if that is really bad on the fatigue i let them run less and try to focus on keeping keeping that right um there are other things for example like arm swing sometimes people have like a an ugly arm swing but everything is stable in the core and the and the glutes for example then i don't overemphasize on the arm swing for example and just try to make them uh, a little bit aware of it without saying you have to run perfect with your arms if we see the arms are a consequence of something else in the chain then of course we try to correct it but most of the time it's coming from somewhere else then so it's a uh, yeah a bit of uh yeah looking what's really important for the stride or not yeah yeah hmm. um when a new athlete joins the squad are there some things that you kind of and, and you start 
observing them and coaching them uh, what are some things that you find that uh, uh, these are some common mistakes that that athletes are doing and that uh, yeah that you that you see and that that get corrected when when they join do you have a, some examples of that yeah i think uh the main issue is often that they want to prove themselves when they come into the squad and they want to show their qualities and like it's quickly that they realize that it's not what the squad is about you know and it's focused on improving and the process on the longer term um yeah i try to have conversations with the athletes immediately like i really want them to trust the process it's very important and i think that's where educating the athlete is important how we approach things within their own profile and why some people need to back off in some sessions and some other not i really want them to know why it is yeah Otherwise, they keep on making that mistake. So, yeah, the proving thing is always difficult in the begin, beginning, I think. Um, and then the showing vulnerability, I think, um, yeah. I, I sometimes have athletes who are really trying to hide a little injury or something, you know, because they see it as a sign of weakness. And they think like, oh, yeah, I have to do this session and be with the group or they think like I'm not good enough. And in the end, you, yeah, you're really lying to yourself and you're getting further away from your goals. And I think I, I really like it when an athlete can come in the group because it's hard. Eh? You're doing the warm-up, you feel a niggle and they come before the set and they can tell me, I think it's better not to do the set because I feel this or that. Yeah, you gain a lot more out of that than trying to push through and be injured afterwards. And it's sometimes hard, especially with the boys. Sometimes eh? they, they like to have the hard sessions and the grind together but it's something yeah, we try to get out of and like really focus on communication and like yeah that thing is very important yeah. and yeah. combined with uh, the generation like the young generation it's like always instant gratification i think and uh, uh they they really want to see short-term results and in endurance sports i don't believe in that so it's like really a long-term process and yeah, they need to be patient i think and that's something with the younger generation sometimes quite difficult yeah yeah, yeah. um one thing that we've well we've talked about quite a bit already is you're you're doing testing and you're being specific with training targets and and so on and uh mm -hmm. but in in general in terms of how you're using science and technology in the training process are there any things that we that we haven't really talked about that you would like to mention for example do you do lactate testing generally in the or often in regularly in the field in training as well or any other tools that you use for monitoring or uh, any, anything like that that would be interesting for listeners to hear about yeah there are a few things i think the lactate testing in the pool it's quite clear of course um yeah we do always do it in the pool when we do it for the swim um but like i said i always was critical in the beginning and also with the testing in the swim like even five years ago five years ago with like the the swim testing in the federation i realized that some values were really off in the swim like uh, i said like this guy is like much higher aerobic capacity than we think you know and uh, or is coming out of the test results so i i had with uh, some colleagues vo2 master to compare the the results coming out of the lactate uh, tests and the vo2 master then and we can find huge differences because of economy and uh, efficiency of the athlete you know so it's something a test result is one thing but always know what you're testing and what is influencing the test result um, so with a high level athlete with good efficiency it's much more reliable i think in the run the differences are closer on the bike it's much more reliable so you can be more like trustworthy there so 
Um, yeah, I think it's being critical. It's very important to interpret the results. And then on the bike, I like to do them like in the field. So, uh, but it's, it always has to be specific, you know, if it's like TT, make sure it's on the TT. If you're doing a flat course, make sure it's on a flat course. If you have to do a hilly ride and it's the most important part for a cyclist is uphill, do the testing uphill to know what you should be pushing on a longer hill. I think always think of like specific to your race demands. I think that's a mistake we sometimes make. Um, we use tests for one thing to interpret, for example, long distance course, they go on the road bike and they do a lap test and, you know, the TT bike, they can push, push much less power and being like much more like higher in lactate than they should be for the same power output. And something like that's how we use science. And it's also by measuring a lot in the field. I think that's where we, where we really differentiate in sets like and some days it's, it means like we have to back off, you know, and that's it. And we accept it. But uh, I think that's the uh, very important aspect of our training methodolo methodology. So, um, yeah. And then maybe other tools that we use. Um, HRV is an important one, uh, getting more important, I think, to monitor the athletes. Um, I really like it because it can be an objective parameter for the athletes without getting the feelings too much involved like they always say that they can train you know the high, the high level athletes they always say yeah i'm ready to go but then you can have some really good data and saying look it's already a few days that your variation is like quite high or you're trending down and maybe something is wrong combined with uh, can be other things elevated heart rate in the morning and these basic things are important combined with the observation of the coach eh? still very important i remember my first congress uh, in paris i think where steven Seiler was speaking and he said like in the morning if you see the hats in the bowls it's always like one of you when they're at the breakfast table and everybody's head is hanging down like uh it's so maybe you're pushing it too far um and yeah it's a combination of these two parameters of observing your athletes combined with uh the tools that are available now, I think it's, uh, yeah, you have to make an educated guess. I think that's important. Mm -hmm. mm, yeah. And uh, are there any trends in science or technology in sport that you maybe have tried but have not liked for one reason or another that, or that you think are, yeah, that are, are not so useful? Yeah, it's hard eh, because I don't want to kick against <laughs> some uh, big brands or something like it's like really uh, the super sapiens i'm not really convinced yet for example um i've been using it with some athletes and sometimes i find it reliable and i think it can be also it's backed up by science i think during exercise sometimes it's not really reliable and i also find sometimes it's not working well with athletes and it's it's becoming a hassle to work with it uh, so it's something I, I think there is something to to learn there for sure. Um, and if it works well, then it's I think that's one of the main issues with it. Like the reliability is not always good. Um, there's definitely something to learn there. But in general, we can use it still for see the, the influence of breakfast, for example, on your glucose in the first three hours when you're not. Uh, it's good for an athlete. I just had a discussion with one of my colleagues, actually, that he said like, um yeah but you can just send them an article that if you eat proteins combined with uh, carbohydrates that it's like better for their blood sugar not to spike and to go immediately down again before a session i said like yeah but it doesn't work like that with an athlete so if an athlete sees it experiments with it like then it's still an additional value for the athlete i think because uh, if we send scientific articles to the art to the athletes it's not always the best way to ha to handle it so um 
yeah, so it's something I, I'm not completely against, but something I find like not being very reliable um, during my time using it, for example. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, one thing that I also want to discuss is uh, Martin Van Riel recently set the world best Ironman swing on three time. I don't know if it's called the world best or world record, yeah. but it was a, it was a really fast race anyway and a really good performance. Yeah. Uh, but can you discuss similarities and differences in his training for that race for Sin 3 Dubai uh, compared to his normal training for short course racing. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe good to know is that like the main goal has always been to like keep on performing on short distance. So um, it was something like Martin really motivated and wanted to do um, a 70.3 in the beginning of the season because the season starts quite late as well. Um, yeah. And it was, we only decided actually half of January because uh, end of December we started to work together and he already had the base work done with uh, a lot of the base work done with Joel, um, a coach who I really like look up to as well. And who I think I have many similarities with in my approach of the athletes. So, um, but then we decided to do 70.3 and the things we really, like, first thing we had to do was get the position on the TT bike, right? I think, um, it was only one month out, so we had four weeks of really training on the TT bike. We did like a good bike fit, and we quickly accepted like the things we could control or not, and not going into the wind tunnel or going to like just use our common sense of where we could get like aero gains and hold the position for a longer time. That was already one step of the process, of course, where we changed the the bike, yeah? just um, yeah, going to the TT bike. And then, yeah, we did some testing, of course, like I said, like with insights, we did like uh, a few tests and we saw like, of course, what's normal after the base period and short distance athlete, like his anaerobic profile was a bit, is a bit too high to be like really very good on the, on the longer course. We tried to, to soften it out a little bit, doing much more tempo work. So if you would say the big difference was going from more polarized to more pyramidal, uh training and uh, doing much more zone three work um and also big gear work muscle endurance um i think it was like the biggest change in his training program in that period uh. um mm. so combined with doing sets maybe a bit later in the session after a certain amount of kilojoules spent make sure you could do it for a longer time the efforts and um yeah i think on the bike especially it was a, a big difference on the run um yeah we skipped the view to max work a little bit in that phase because he already has quite a high view to max um, naturally. And so we did really try to get his anaerobic threshold as close to his view to max, did a lot of LT2 work and longer tempo work near the final phase. Um, and actually, I think the biggest gain we had last while, like always controlling these sessions, like uh, when we started our reps, like three uh, Ks and we measured lactate, okay. We're right where we want to be. We had the testing. We we knew where we had to be, and we always hit the right intensity every session. I think uh, it was strange for Martin as well. Sometimes holding back, I think you know, like uh, and but then yeah, when the result is that good, of course you get trusting trust in the process, and it feels good afterwards. Of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Can can you, uh, sorry? Can you give an example of uh, a key? tempo workout on the bike and a key uh strength endurance workout on the bike that you did since you mentioned those two as kind of key uh, key parts of the bike uh, of the bike yeah yeah so on the bike uh i think what we did quite early was some uh where we did some solid spikes like uh really 
high intensity, like for example, three times uh, 45 seconds high intensity, and then followed with a good short rest, uh, very easy. And then we did a long tempo part where we did like three minutes low cadence and then a longer period at the same power output, but high cadence, the cadence that he had to push in the in the race as well. So, and this like several times in a session. And then towards the end, it went more to longer fractions of tempo work where we did like, for example, one of the key sessions, I think was four times 25 minutes tempo zone, just <laughs> very simple, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, uh, I think also, we don't have to make it too fancy all the time you have to know what's the goal of your session and why you're doing it and like if you look at the parameters you have from the testing you know um yeah what you should be doing and yeah try to prolong it and we got a lot of confidence about measuring things i think so even if we did like this these long intervals and we see the powers he was pushing and then we saw the lactate was like really where we wanted to be it's not higher it was like also for me because i was thinking are we doing too much you know like uh, sometimes is it too much power because he's not super heavy you know and can he hold this for a long time but then you get like confirmation by the values and that that gave us a lot of confidence going into the race you know and uh, i actually the race plan was executed quite well and like it was almost like we knew it could happen this way and it happened that way it was very fun to to experience of course yeah yeah, yeah. and and on the run if what, what would an example be of a key lt2 run like how how long intervals and how many intervals just to get an idea of what that <sighs> yeah i have to look back into the data actually because it's been a while already um yeah i think uh, one of the key sessions we did um was few times i think three times two mile and then five times one mile yeah all uh yeah so if you put it in case it's like uh, around three k's and then like 1600 meters so actually there was one of the uh, one of the key sessions we did and it was actually always like trying to prolong the time at lt2 we didn't want to like increase the speed too much but we always wanted to try increase the time and longer fractions and um yeah maybe near the very end we just skipped the real lt2 work again and we went to like longer tempos even so yeah uh, yeah around race pace very specific yeah, yeah. Mm. um right and um uh, then a couple of more questions just in general regarding coaching and triathlon first uh what are some things that have changed in your coaching since i think 2018 when when you started the squad do do you have any examples of something that you do differently now than you did back then yeah um definitely i think uh i'm always changing um the world is always changing so i think we need to be flexible and uh, always question ourselves um i think the main thing that changed is Due to COVID as well, like I found myself often, I think when I had a talented athlete, like trying to sometimes me wanting it more than the athlete, you know, like uh, I really afraid to lose the athlete or whatever and not being like completely honest with the athlete or trying to make everything work for the athlete. And then I saw actually with COVID was a big eye opener that like, if you're not really passionate about the sport and love showing up for sessions every day, even without races being available, on the long term, it's a very important factor, and I I didn't want it anymore for the athlete. I want to have my athletes like coming to the session and uh, wanting to work together, improve, and uh, not focusing only on the result. And I think that sometimes in the past I was always focused too much on the results as well. 
and um, yeah, also maybe took some pride in having good performances with athletes. And now I take much more pride in like working together to a big goal and enjoying the process. And I, I know the results will follow then. I think that's something I, I really switched mindset in over the past years. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And uh, how do you think, or do you think triathlon has changed and or is changing in the last few years and, and will change in, in the coming years? I think it changed a lot eh? um, because in general, the level is rising quite high. Like it's, it's really insane. If you look at the results of the past years, um, also for young athletes, it's like a big issue. Like to, they come from juniors to under 23, the fields are quite stacked and like we, it's we're losing a lot of talent, I think, because there are not many under 23 races where they can like race against their fellow uh, age <laughs> level athletes, you know, so it's really, uh, they need to be like very good on a very young age or they get dropped out, I think. So it's really an issue we need to think about, even with world triathlon. I think it's something we maybe have to think about providing more under 23 races. Um, and where I see the biggest difference is, I think, on the bike, where in the past, like the the swim and run was like very like important factor for the for the for the result and the bike could be a little bit less and i think that in these days it's like impossible and if you look at the bike powers of world cup level even like not even wts level it's like uh, increased a lot over the past years and you cannot have any weakness anymore and it's a good thing of course it makes it like super interesting as a coach that you have to be good in in the three disciplines and sometimes you can get away with it huh? it's like uh, there's always a race where it's like a, a pack and it's very hard to do a breakaway and it's a very easy bike and you yeah it's, uh, it's you can have a, a weird result sometimes uh, but in general the bike is getting so fast as well it's a big difference so and then what i also think is with all the different formats with super league coming and then the short distance athletes being interested in 70.3 i think it's also a danger that like everybody wants to do everything and it's like uh like we were, we were discussing earlier like if you want to keep on improving if you're only doing racing yeah you will stay at one level and you can be good for one year maybe but then the year after you will like you know, not keep being able to keep on in, uh, improving so it's really important to make right choices and maybe right for for example a super league and world triathlon already working together a little bit and i think it's a good thing and it should keep on thinking about how to develop the calendars and also like for now the season the final is end of november and if athletes are racing from january it's like there's almost no off season anymore and i think also it's something important to think about for the health of the athletes and to keep it yeah, sustainable for a longer period of time yeah yeah Mm. um and the final question before the rapid fire questions is uh, for age group triathletes listening can you give one to three key pieces of advice that might help them improve their performance yeah probably they've been said like a million times on your podcast so <laughs> it's uh coming back to the same i think consistency um yeah, and don't be afraid to to let a one workout um if you don't feel good or you feel a bit injured to to cancel the workout or maybe do it a day later um, and find the balance with the life stress, which is really important um, and many times underestimated, I think. So uh, if you have problems at home or not feeling good, so it might be good to contact your coach and to say, hey, can I do this session a day later or what do you think? And yeah, like this, we also come to the second point, like work with an experienced coach. I think it's uh, it helps you make the right decisions and um, yeah, yeah, 
prevents me, you making mistakes. So it's really important. So um, yeah, work with a coach and then just get out. Don't overthink. I think sometimes we are really like, uh, can I do this or can I do not? Just lace up your shoes and go out and see how it feels. Trust your feeling. Try to connect with your feeling as well. Like I've been talking a lot about lactate testing and intensity control. But actually, one of the key fundamentals of the group is as well to, to link your RPE with a certain kind of uh, effort. I think that's very important because we're not always there with the device. And if I say tempo zone, for example, the athletes know they need to be RPE 6, 7 and try to control that. And if they're doing it on a, on a headwind or in a, a hilly surface, I want them to know to not look at a pace or not look at it's not always available. And of course, on the bike, it's easier, but to really know what is what what they should be doing that session. I think that's very important for an athlete, not just blindly follow numbers. Yeah, yeah no, that, that make, makes total sense, of course. Uh, and let's move on to the rapid fire questions. Uh, and the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to triathlon or endurance sports? Um, yeah, maybe not directly related to triathlon. Um, a book I really like, and the psychologist I work with will laugh that I mentioned it again. Um, it's Anti-Fragile from Nassim Taleb. Um, it's a book where they talk about like how to overcome like um, setbacks to become better. Yeah? And you have the difference between being robust and anti-fragile. And I think like material, they can, if you do put it under stress, it can like keep its same form and keep its same strength, but doesn't improve. And I think as an athlete, there will be setbacks always. Um, I haven't seen a high-level athlete who didn't have set, setbacks. So I think you have to learn from it, get better from it. Um, yeah, he makes a comparison, for example, with a tsunami. Like you can always say, oh, there's a tsunami path and like, um, yeah, the complete destruction or whatever. But you cannot prepare. Yeah, you cannot know when the tsunami is coming, but you can prepare yourself to be as resilient as possible for the tsunami and to get better after what what happened uh, like so i think it's it's really a book that opened my eyes because it was so relatable to to many fields not only sports but like medicine economy and i was like uh, quite impressed with the book when i first time read it so yeah mm, yeah and it's been recommended before so okay uh, yeah <laughs> It, it, it's it, no, it's good that the the good the really good resources they keep coming up and, and yeah, then you yeah. kind of get a picture of but what you should be reading i have to warn you i i'm reading it i think already uh, for the third or fourth time now i think and it's always like hard to it's it's a it's a very intelligent person that i used to think i was intelligent but when i see how many broad interests he has and like um it's it's quite amazing to read it and to see like um, how we build up the book and I, I'm really fascinated by the book. So mm, cool. Yeah. And uh, then what's an important habit that you have benefited from athletically, professionally or personally? Um, yeah, I think in the beginning I was like um, narrow-minded. The sports was the most important thing in my life, I think. And it's still like I'm, I'm super passionate about sport. I wake up with it and I go to sleep with it. But I also know, like, uh, I want to my athletes and myself to know there's many more things happening in in life, and to if we have a bad day, I at, at a session, I think it's always like it's only a bad day at the training session, and there are people suffering <laughs> in other places much more, and I want to put it in perspective, and um, yeah, focus on the efforts that we're doing, growing together, and yeah, 
combined with taking time off, I think it's something me um, I sometimes suffer with as well. And I think it's very important. So I try to keep my my daily run, for example, even if it's like 20 minutes to clear my head. Because I think I can only perform well and be creative again for writing schedules when I, I, I think of myself as well. And I think it's sometimes we sometimes forget when we just get uh, caught up in work too much. Yeah, that's a bit of an occupational hazard, I think. So really important to yeah. think about. And uh, finally, who's somebody that you look up to or that has inspired you? Um, I already mentioned Joel Filial, I think. Um, yeah, he's like a coach I could quickly relate to the way he approached building a group. And also building an athlete, like on the both on the physiological level and also on the tactical level, and I, I'm really inspired by him. But sometimes it's also like people very close to me. I have one very good friend. He's like a, a biologist, and he, we come from all both of us, like from a small town. And yeah, he quickly went full in for his uh, hobby. What it was like that, he made a profession out of his hobby, and he traveled the world. He lived abroad in New Zealand, Canada. And he was living his dream, and I think it, it opened my eyes as well. And he was always happy, smiling, and when we see, saw each other, so he really inspired me, like without even knowing it. I think. So. Yeah, yeah, no, that's really cool. Oh, and, and Joel yeah. Filial is, uh, as you probably know, a past guest on the podcast. So for yeah, the listeners yeah. that haven't listened already, highly recommend it. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can check it out. And uh, Glenn, uh, finally, where can listeners uh, find you or follow you and your squad and what you're up to? Yeah, well, we have a website, but I have to admit it's not really up to date and uh, we should put more work into it. Um, I think the best way to follow us is on Instagram, where we have an account. Um, it's called PTC Coaching. And if you want to, uh, yeah, you can always send a direct message through the account and I will try to respond as quickly as possible. Um, yeah, and also there, time-wise, it's sometimes difficult to keep up with all the races and I try to keep it a little bit up to date. So, yeah. Great. Things yeah. to improve on for the future. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. This has been really awesome. Uh, I think, yeah, tons of information. Really great to to get uh, some insight into how you how you work and and yeah, lots of things to think about from this one for sure. So, thank you for taking the time. Thank you very much. It was great being on the podcast. I hope that you enjoyed that interview. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com and links to Glenn's website and Instagram or the PTC Coaching website and Instagram, uh, that is. If you want to improve your triathlon performance and want help to achieve your goals, then I would highly recommend uh, reaching out to us at Scientific Triathlon to discuss regarding getting a coach or a training plan. Whether you're just getting into triathlon or trying to qualify for a world championship event or even want to race professionally, we have experience in all of those scenarios and we'd love to discuss further uh, around if and how we can help you on your triathlon journey. Find out more and contact us on scientifictriathlon.com and we can discuss your specific goals and needs and see what option is best for you. Big thanks finally to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. Use their free online sweat test and quick carb calculator to understand your fluid, electrolyte and carbohydrate needs and individualize your plan with a free video consultation with the team at Precision Fuel and Hydration. Use the code TTS22 at checkout for 15% off your first order of fueling and hydration products. And thank you to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Check out their wetsuits, trisuits, swimskins, goggles and exceptional sunglasses and prescription glasses for everything from day-to-day wear to extreme action sports. Use the promo code that you can get on roca.com forward slash TTS to get 20% off your entire Roca order. Thank you, as always, for listening.
keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.